0: Romans 2, James 1, Luke 2, Acts 8, Acts 28, John 4. Let's close. No. (laughs) All right. How many have been with us and through the book of Romans? At least a little bit. Okay. Probably you're starting to figure out the topic. One of the topics, uh, the big one. That is throughout this book is the righteousness of God. Uh, Paul says in chapter one, verse 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Okay, so he is revealing the fact that God is always right. And we saw at the end of chapter one, God is always right, even in his wrath. We now we're seeing in chapter two, God is righteous, right in his judgment we began last Thursday talking about specifically the righteous judgment of God. And really, ever since verse 18 of chapter 1, you could say that Paul has been throwing us all under the bus of God's righteous judgment. And in fact, I finally brought it. This is the cup I've been talking about. It says on one side, it says, Wretched. How would you like to have somebody give you a Christmas present? It says wretched. But it's true. It says, I'm the wretch the song refers to. If you're paying attention through the book of Romans, especially these first three chapters, you'll want one of these cups. <laughs> because we are all thrown under the bus by Paul's declarations here in these first few chapters. That includes the atheist under the bus. Because Paul says, Look, God has revealed himself to the atheist. That includes the guy on Skid Row under the bus, the prostitute, the pimp, the sexually immoral under the bus. And lest you think, Well, you know, I'm not that bad, I'm not one of them. Well, verse 28 begins this list that throws us all under the bus. There's words like covetous in there that means that you want more than what you have there's words like envious where you want something that someone else has there's words like contentious means you like to argue there's words like disobedient to parents under the bus untrustworthy unforgiving gossip under the bus The backbiter finds himself under the bus. And in the middle of that list, from verse 28 on to the end of chapter 1, just in case you look around and you go, I'm still unscathed. I guess I'm better than the rest of these losers. Paul puts in the word proud. Boasters. Everybody finds himself under the bus. Now, we we touched on this a little bit uh, indirectly, but we haven't addressed it directly yet. I thought I'd do that today. Maybe you're thinking, though, okay, we're all under the bus of God's judgment. He's right to judge us. But what about the guy on the island who's never read the Bible? Have you ever tried to share Jesus with somebody and they'll say, hey, but, but what about the guy on the island who's never read the Bible? I want to give you the, the the short answer and then we're going to spend quite a bit of time explaining let's take out the parentheses if you, some of your uh, versions have parentheses from verse thirteen to fifteen let's take those out and just read verse twelve to sixteen. This is the gist of where paul's going verse twelve uh, chapter two Romans two verse twelve for as many as have sinned that is missed the mark they've blown it without the law that means without knowing the law will perish will also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law, that is, knowing the law, so they are aware of it, will be judged by that law, verse 16, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. The idea is, God knows everything all the time. He knows the secrets of men. And Paul's judgment bus. That has so successfully mowed all of us down. Says basically, okay, let me be frank with you here. God's judgment bus is going to mow down the informed and the quote uninformed. Now we'll see how uninformed they are. The, the Paul's judgment bus is going to mow down those with the law, those without the law, the Bible scholar and the island dweller, the Bible expert. And the guy that says, hey, what's a Bible? The guy in the ivory tower and the guy on the island. Now, that might make you uncomfortable. I think you'll see as we go through that God's judgment is righteous. Let's start first, okay, with the Bible scholar. By most people's standards today all over the world, that would include you guys. Meaning you have access to... To the Bible. Verse 12. For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without without the law. Now watch. And as many as have sinned in. That means to have the knowledge of the law. Will be judged by that law. That they have the knowledge of. Let me start this way this morning. We are going to talk about the guy on the island today. Okay. But I need to say this. If you're in this room this morning. You are not that guy. You are not the guy on the island. So even if God weren't giving him a fair break, you don't have that excuse. They say, "Well, I don't even know what's what's the average American home. How many Bibles do they have?" It's certainly more than one. The average American home has these Bibles. I just offered you, I'm speaking to the, the person who comes, who they're the unbeliever. And by the way, you're welcome here. I w- we always want to treat everyone who walks in the door with respect, but I also want to be as direct and bold as I can. If you come here today and you're like, ah, I don't buy into Christianity because of the guy on the island, I would say, wait, but you're not the guy on the island. And, and we just offered you a Bible for free to take home with you. You could make a really strong case to say, hey, in one sense, just let the guy on the island fend for himself. Why don't you think about your standing with God? Because you have access to opportunity. You have the knowledge available to you of the written word of God. And verse 12 says that in the day when God judges your secret heart, your heart of hearts, that is the standard that you will be judged by. Verse 12, for as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Look at this. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Now, Paul is going to lay into the religious folks later in this chapter. Okay, we're not going to spend a a lot of time this morning on that. Verse 13, really, you could say is just a preview of coming attractions what Paul's going to say to the religious folks. But this is a really important point that I want you guys to see. Paul is talking to the Jews in Rome, right? He's writing to the Romans and he's speaking of the Jews. And what he's saying is, in their heads, they're thinking this. Look, I don't need Jesus. I'm a Jew. I've got the law. Well, with one sentence, Paul drives a dagger into the heart of that reasoning. Verse 13, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Paul says to that hypothetical Jew in in Rome, yes, you're right, you are a Jew. You're part of that blessed group that possesses God's written law, but just hearing it, just even understanding it, well, even your mental assent to the law is not enough. He would say to that that Jew who comes to synagogue every single week and says, Yes, Lord, amen. Yes, amen. He says it's not enough to make you right with God. To be right with God, to get to heaven, you need to, if you're going to choose this route by the law, you need to perfectly fulfill the law. Or have someone else fulfill it for you. Again, we're going to get more into this next week, but I hope everybody here understands this. Knowledge of the Bible will not get you into heaven. Right? You're not going to get up to, you know, the proverbial get up to the the, the heavenly gates, and Saint Peter's there, and he's not going to be there with a, a pad of paper and a quiz. Quick, what's Romans eight twenty eight? Do 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 do. You're gone. It's not going to happen. It's not Bible knowledge that saves you. It's not hearing the word of God that makes you right with God. It's not even knowing what his requirements are. It is compliance. That is perfect, total compliance with the law of God is the only thing that could get you into heaven. Whether that's Jesus in you living up to that standard or if you want to try it on your own, you're welcome to, but good luck. See, since you have access knowledge to the Bible, the law of God, by my calculations, everybody in this room will be judged according to that standard. So rather quickly, we can see Paul throws yet another group under the bus of God's righteous judgment. That is the man who owns a Bible and thinks that somehow he's good with God. Every religious person who knows the law and fails to keep it perfectly is condemned. Which once again leads us to the the same conclusion we've been coming to every time in in these first few chapters. I need a Savior. I need someone who can fulfill that righteousness on my behalf. Now, that's the exposition excuse me, I believe of, of this verse in context. But there is an indirect practical application for the Christian. Okay. James 1. Turn to James chapter 1. This is, again, not a direct application because if it were direct, you would be trying to fulfill the law in your own power. And we all know how well that's worked out for us so far. But turn to James chapter 1. Let me ask you this. Are you a hearer of the word or a doer of the word? Maybe you take really good notes. Good for you. I hope you do. Maybe you are an active listener. You're pinching yourself if you need to. Okay, I'm going to stay awake. I'm going to stay focused. Good. I like that. Maybe you make sure to turn your cell phone off. Okay. Maybe you even consciously engage your mind. All of that is great. But do you sometimes leave church, say, that was great. I'm so glad I... Heard, And then that's it. Look at verse 22. James exhorts as he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his face, natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. James says, look, your Bible is like a mirror. How many of you looked in a mirror this morning? I personally want to thank you. (laughs) Probably all of us, you wake up and you got bed head. I sometimes wake up with bed face. We've mentioned it before. Cosmetics, it comes from the word cosmos, which means the ordered arrangement of things as opposed to chaos. (laughs) Some of us woke up this morning, looked at the chaos, said, let me make some order out of that. Now, imagine, let me paint a hypothetical, ridiculous scenario. I would never do that. Okay. Let me paint a scenario for you. A guy, you know a guy, and he wakes up, and he's got bed head. He's got bed face. He eats breakfast. And he gets a piece of bacon stuck in his beard. Shall I make it grosser? He gets cereal in there. Half of his breakfast is in his beard, okay? He, he goes to the mirror and you're walking alongside him, okay? It's my story. <laughs> and he checks himself out. He goes, man... I look pretty bad. And you say, well, yeah, I'm glad you noticed. You're going to make some adjustments, right? And he says, well, I should. I mean, boy, it's, it's chaos. <laughs> Tell you what, I am some kind of ugly. So you say, well, okay, so you will make some adjustments, right? And he says, yeah, someday. I'll, I'll get around to it someday. Anybody doing that with the mirror of the word? You come week after week and the Lord is faithful to you, to point out to you, look, this needs attention. You need to deal with this. But maybe you keep saying, yeah, I know, I really should deal with that. I will someday. Verse twenty-five says, "But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does." I have thought of a way to to make help you remember this application. You ready? What's the bacon in your beard? What's the thing that you've been coming to the word over and over again and you keep saying, I really need to address that. I need to address that. But I will sometime. Bible says, look, if you'll do it today. While it's still called today, the Lord will meet you. He will help you. But you have to decide to be a doer of the word. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know if that means... Having a conversation or forgiving someone or whatever it is, unplugging something. Entering into a relationship that makes you accountable or getting out of a relationship that's totally wrong. Whatever it is, if you will decide I'm going to be a doer this time, not just a hearer, you will be, it says, blessed. Okay, let's go back to Romans chapter two. So, Paul has quickly thrown the, quote, religious person who knows the law, but doesn't follow it. He's thrown that person under the bus of God's righteous judgment. Paul has taken, as it were, the bus and mowed down the guy in the ivory tower. Now, you say, but what about the guy on the island? Well, Paul would say, I got good news and bad news for you. Here's the good news. You will not be judged by what you did not know. Here's the bad news. You will be judged by what you did know and failed to respond to. Matter of fact, back up to verse 12. It says, For as many as have sinned without... And you can... Insert for clarification, the knowledge of the written law. So as many as have stand without knowing about or knowing the written law will also perish without being held to the standard of the law. In other words, the guy on the island will not be judged for compliance to a law that he never knew, but he will be judged for compliance to the law that he does know about. If you're taking notes, I've got three words that begin with C for you. You could say that the guy on the island is surrounded by three C's. Pretty good, huh? Thank you. Pride. See, I'm in that list too. Three C's. First one, creation. We've talked about it. We'll talk about it a little bit more today. Second word, conscience. And then the third word, I think you're going to see... A collision course. Creation, conscience, collision course. First, creation. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about it. We've, we've talked at Ed Link, I think it was two weeks ago. You, you might want to get that CD, listen online. But let me just remind you of a few things that we learned in Romans chapter 1. One was this. God preaches a sermon every single day to the guy on the island. Through his awesome creation. Psalm 19:2. We looked at it. Day unto day utters speech. So every day is a sermon. Every day is a speech to all of creation. Day unto day utter speech and night unto night reveals knowledge about God, who he is, how much he loves us. He lets us breathe his air Right? Every day we breathe God's air that he designed specifically for our lungs. Every day we eat food that he provides for our bodies that will not kill us the second we put it in our mouths. Every day we use opposable thumbs and enjoy them. Every time that those things happen, God preaches. And we learned in Romans chapter 1 that you have to actively suppress that truth. You have to work really hard to deny that you were created fearfully and wonderfully made. Look at verse 18 of chapter one. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. We are hardwired, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Paul says, look, the the created beings are always hardwired to know that they had a creator, that there's someone out there who is worthy of our worship. And, And the rest of creation, Paul says, is shouting at us every day. Get right with your creator. I was thinking about this. You you could make, I think, a pretty good case that the guy on the island has it at least as good as you. We've just established he has a better teacher. God himself teaches them. You don't have one man who can muddle it up, make it something that it could be less than what what God is trying to, to say and not only that but he has fewer distractions the man on the island right that's you know we we make that that thing no cell phones no cell phones please why because god wants your full attention the guy on the island has no jackhammers no traffic to deal with no tv no deadlines for me Deadline, that's one of the things that the devil wants to use all the time. I've got to to keep my mind on this, as opposed to what God might be trying to tell me. No Blackberries, no iPhones, no iPods, no iPads, none of it. I think we've done a decent job of saying, look, all of creation is witnessing to the man on the island. That's your first C. Second C, you ready? Conscience. Verse 14. For when Gentiles... The word is ethnos. It means the the unwashed masses, the uninitiated. In short, it means the guy on the island. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, they've never studied it by nature. That is, they just naturally do the things in the law. These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness. Conscience, what is it? It is that natural, hard-wired ability to know right from wrong. And Paul says, everybody's got one. At least they start out with one. Verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have a law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. Paul says, look, there are some things that are universally understood by our consciences. Don't believe me? Pretty much everywhere you go, murder is not cool. It's not approved. Let me put it this way: you will not find an island island where there's a sign posted in Swahili, "Hey, murder encouraged. Knock 'em dead." Uh-huh. Sorry. Now it occurred to me: maybe you're thinking, "Well, well in America, though, you could say we've sanctioned murder." By way of abortion. But think about this. If if you were to say that, you will get opposition to that divisive statement. Why? Because you're calling abortion murder. Which means murder is not cool. Murder is not cool in this country. You see what I'm saying? Everyone agrees that there is some kind of right and wrong. Some things are universally understood by our consciences. Verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. Paul says the guy on the island, think about this. Every time he does what is right without anyone telling him or refuses to do that which is wrong without anyone telling him, he shows that he has the law. Even though he's never read the Bible, he's got If it's not the law, it's a law in his heart, right? Verse 15, who show the work of the law written in their hearts. The guy on the island, he does not have what you have in your lap. He does not have the law written down on paper, but no, he has the law that God has written on his individual heart. And just like you are accountable for the law that you're aware of, He is accountable for perfect compliance to the law that is on his heart. And and the guy on the island proves this. Verse 15, who who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves, their thoughts, accusing or else excusing them, accusing, excusing. Those are both legal terms. One is to accuse like the uh, prosecuting uh, attorney. One is to defend like the defending attorney. Y'all, again, this is so universal. How many of you have seen a commercial sometime in your life with a little angel on one shoulder and a little devil on the other? It's so universal. Even Madison Avenue understands this concept that people know what is right and wrong. Let me give you some examples of conscience operating in our society. Okay, we'll get to the, the guy in the island in just a second. You are driving on 441. You come over a hill and you see a police car. Your your foot goes right to the brake. Conscience. Maybe a little late, but still, your conscience was accusing you. And then you say, oh, but officer, I was on my way to church. (laughs) That's you trying to make your conscience defend you. Let me give you some more examples. Um. Whenever you're in a conversation, maybe at a restaurant, and you lower your voice. Or you say, I probably shouldn't be telling you this, but conscience. Whenever you look around right before you say something. Whenever you do something and then you look around to see if you got caught. Conscience. Now, let's say you go to the island. The guy you finally get to meet the guy on the island, and you see him, and he is getting ready to steal his neighbor's blanket. What's he going to do? He just showed you he has a conscience. He has the law of God written upon his heart. Verse 15, who show the work of the law written in their hearts that their conscience also bear witness and between themselves, their thoughts, accusing or else excusing. Either they'll defend them and they'll say, hey, I don't have a problem because my conscience is fine with this or um, accusing them. What Paul is showing us is this. Don't worry about the guy on the island. He will not be judged for perfect compliance to a law that he never read. But he will be judged for perfect compliance to the law that is written already on his heart. Now, for you thinkers, that still presents one last problem. God's got this bus of righteous judgment. Still still something we probably need to come to grips with. And that's this. Well, wait a second. In in our right here in this room, if you've given your heart to Jesus, we know about Jesus. We've heard about Him. We can receive Him. We can trust Him. We can make Him our King. And when we do, He becomes our Savior. We get His righteousness credited to our account. But is that fair? What about the guy on the island who never heard about Jesus? Here's where our third C comes in. I like to call it a collision course. I think anybody who even remotely begins to pursue the light that's given to Him, will find himself on a collision course with the same God that we serve. I truly believe with all my heart that whoever searches for God will find him, will find Jesus wherever they are. Whoever investigates the light that God has given him, God will give him more light. That's a biblical principle. And he will, God will, in his time, and perhaps even in ways we don't get, we don't understand, he will show them Jesus. Now, maybe you're not convinced. I hope to change that. God has a... a multitude of creative ways to get the message to those who are responding to light. You want a few examples? No? Should we just close right? All right. What about this? What about the wise men who followed a star? They were astronomers, probably astrologers, very, very well could have been practicing the, the dark arts, but they followed the light that they knew and God eventually showed them the light of the world. What about the shepherds? We, we don't even have a record that they were even necessarily pursuing God in any way. But the angel of what light appeared and they followed that light and they found Jesus. Still not convinced? Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. What about within a week or so of Jesus' birth, his circumcision? Verse 25. Luke 2, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Here's a guy who is searching for God. Okay? Okay? Verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. So the Holy Spirit is saying, you need to come here. I've got an appointment for you. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. See, he was faithful to the light that was given him and he got to see that light face to face. Look at verse 36. And Anna. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. She... she, Didn't have all the answers, but that which she knew, she pursued. Verse 38, and coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for, looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Are you seeing yet at all that God has a myriad of ways of introducing Jesus to the seeking sinner? Turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, the guy who wrote this book, Romans, back in chapter 8, instead of Paul, his name is Saul. He's uh, going crazy, persecuting the church. And look what happens in the middle of that scene. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, I got a, I got an appointment for you. Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Gives him very specific instructions. This is, it says, desert. Okay, desert. The middle of nowhere. Verse 27. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charged who had charge of all of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, he was following that light which he knew was returning, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. I want you to... The Spirit is saying to Philip, Okay, I got you here. Now, run really fast. Overtake that chariot. I have an appointment for you. Verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Divine appointment. Huh, what a coincidence. Here's a man who's pursuing that light which he's been given God supernaturally directs Philip on this appointment. And if you if you remember how the rest of this guy gets baptized and then what happens to Philip? Poof. He's gone off to another place, another appointment that God has for him. God has amazing ability to reach out to those who are just in the middle of nowhere. Acts 28, turn with me. Acts chapter 28. Now this is following The writer, Paul, this is after he's been converted. He's no longer Saul. He's Paul. And he has been um, arrested. He's on his way to Rome. He's suffered tremendous hardship. And the latest thing is a shipwreck outside an island. Acts 28 verse 1. Now, when they had escaped, they found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So in the natives, that is the island dwellers, those guys on the island, when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. Huh, they have their own law. It's written on their heart. Even there, they get, oh, this guy must have done something wrong. Verse 5, But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time, okay, we're going to keep an eye on him, and saw no harm come to him, they change their mind. OK, he must be a God. Oh. <laughs> See, they don't have all the answers. They don't have it all figured out yet. But they're like, OK, well, we know that our creator is just. All right, that guy just got man. He must have done something wrong. Oh, wow. Look at that. Didn't get hurt. OK, he must be a god. They're still messed up. <laughs> But they're responding to that light which is given them. Verse 7. In that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. God happens to bring this leader of the island that everybody's influenced by. Makes him sick. Verse 8. And it happened that the father of this guy lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those... Guys on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. You'll see that God has a myriad of ways... He can even send Paul, a righteous man, to a prison that's hundreds of miles away, and say, "Okay, oh, let's let's get you a a shipwreck so that you will end up here. Oh, and we'll get your, uh, we'll make sure that your hand is is bitten and that you survive. And we'll have this guy who's influential. We'll have you heal him. Does it seem like God might be up to something there, interested in saving these guys on the island?" Maybe you're still not convinced. Turn to John 4. We're coming to the close. God has a multitude, a myriad of ways to reach that guy. He did it through Paul. He did it through Philip. He, he did it some by bringing them to Jesus. But I want you to show, I want, to, want to close with this because this really shows the heart of the Lord. John 4. Verse one, therefore, when the Lord Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had made and baptized more disciples than John. though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. Right then he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. A good Jew never goes from Judea to Galilee through Samaria. But look at verse four. But he needed to go through Samaria. If you you know the rest of chapter four. There's a lady in Samaria. She's on her, what, fifth boyfriend. She is desperately looking for someone, something to fulfill her. She goes to to Jacob's well. And who does she meet? Jesus. And they enter into this dialogue. And Jesus says, I have living water. I'm the one... That you're looking for. That will fulfill you. Now, what's intriguing to me is verse 4. It says, no one else goes through Samaria. But Jesus, at this particular moment, this day, needed to go through Samaria. Why? Because she was the woman on the island. She was on the island of despair, if you will. She had no hope. Jesus knew it. He went there. Some of Jesus' favorite parables... The the parable of the lost coin. The woman who loses just one coin and she sweeps her whole house. She's desperate to find that lost coin. The parable of the lost sheep. A guy who would leave 99 sheep just to go find the one. The parable of the prodigal son who when when he comes back, his dad says... He was lost, but now he's found. Jesus said, by his own words, his mission statement is this. I did not come to destroy man. I came to seek and to save. To search out wherever I need to go, I will be there to seek and to save that which is lost. He loves it. He loves to seek and to save that which is lost. It's among his favorite parables. Not a seek and destroy mission, a search and rescue mission. Isn't that awesome? He's not come to destroy you, but to rescue you. That's his mission statement. He's willing to go to Samaria. He's willing to leave the 99. He's willing to send a preacher like Paul to the island of Malta. He's willing to send Philip supernaturally, if he needs to, to the guy, the Ethiopian eunuch. The son of man, his one desire is to seek and to save. Even if it means coming from heaven down to earth and putting on skin, seek and save that which is lost. That is, y'all, the gospel. Paul finishes this text by saying, on the day when God will judge the secrets of men... And then he says, according to my gospel, what gospel mean good news. Now, if you're not saved, when God will judge the secrets of men, does that sound like good news? No, but if he's come to seek and save that, which is lost, you have good news. He's come to seek and save. It says that which is lost. Here's the question. Do you know you're lost? Everybody needs one of these. I'm not saying I'm not, we're not going to be selling them. Everybody needs to think that way. I am the rich that he came to seek and save. But here's the deal. He says, I didn't come for the healthy ones. I came for those who know they're sick. Do you know you're lost? That is the whole reason for Romans chapter 1, 2, and the beginning of chapter 3. Not convinced yet? Stick around.